The title I gave to this message is, All That the Father Gives Me Will Come to Me. It's the words of Jesus. I took this off a church website. These are not my words. These are directly printed from a church website in our area. This sentence jumped out at me. This is their statement of faith. This sentence jumped out at me. The number of God's elect is fixed for eternity. I want you to think about that for a minute. The number of God's elect, those who are going to receive eternal life, go to heaven. That number, before anyone in this room was born, that number God fixed at a certain limit. There will be no additions to that number. The number of God's elect is fixed for all eternity. Then it goes on. I'm still reading now. Those who suppress God's truth in unrighteousness, do not obey the gospel of Christ, will suffer the righteous wrath of God and be justly cast into hell of fire with the devil and his angels. There they will experience eternal conscious punishment according to their sins. Which, which I don't have a problem with that doctrine. The problem I have is the number of people who will not go to hell. The number of people who will not go to hell is a fixed number. There will be no additions to that number. It's kind of like, some of you are maybe too young to remember, Jehovah's Witnesses used to say the 144,000 in the book of Revelation are Jehovah's Witnesses and they're going to go to heaven. Problem is now there's more than 144,000 and so they've had to revamp that theology a bit. But the idea of this many and no more. So Jesus came and died on the cross, but he didn't die on the cross for everybody. He died on the cross for the elect. And the number of the elect has been fixed. There will be no additions. Now, if I'm assuming they've thought this through, my, my conversation with pastors and people who think this way, they'll say something like this. They'll say, oh, and I don't have time to do this. Somebody stop me. You know. They'll say something like this. Well, everyone's a guilty sinner. Some people get grace, but nobody's being treated unjustly because they're all guilty sinners deserving of eternal damnation. So God, in his mercy, reaches in and selects a few, but he does no injustice to the others. Do you see what I'm saying? They're just getting what's coming to them. It's, if I can give you a picture, think of it this way. Here's the problem I have with that. Imagine a boat. Imagine a boat with 100 people. It sets out. Everybody's drinking and dancing, doing drugs. No one's wearing a life jacket. No one's paying attention to what's happening. They're just being foolish. There's all sorts of adultery and debauchery. The boat somehow explodes. Everybody's in the ocean, 100 people. And they're there 
due to their own foolishness and ignorance and wickedness. Okay? Imagine a great big ship coming. Great big ship comes. That would, it's, it's one of those big uh, cruise ships. It seats, it holds 7,000 people. It comes by, and here's these 100 people drowning. What would you think of a captain? He says, I'm taking 30. I'm going to show mercy to 30. 70, it's their own fault. It's their own fault. I'm going to take 30. It would take no more effort on that cruise ship's part to get all 100. Could easily do that. It chooses to select 30 and pull away. What would you think of that captain of that ship? What would you think of him? Something's not right there. The text used to um, justify the number of God's elect is fixed for eternity. One of the texts used to justify that belief is the one we're studying today. We'll try and get through it. This isn't a light, breezy, devotional message. I'm sorry. I got the best compliment about two weeks ago that I've ever had in this church. Someone talked to me out in the foyer and said, you know, you come to this church and you always make us think. I don't know if they meant it as a compliment, but that's the way I took it. So buckle up, okay, and think. Here's the text. 635 to 46. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. These people don't believe. 37. All that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the second time he's used that phrase, I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews, 41, grumbled about him and said, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, quote, and they will all be taught by God. <clears throat> Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. When you preach through a 
whole book of the Bible, you kind of have to take what comes next. And these are just some of the more difficult and controversial verses in the whole New Testament. And there are many devout brothers and sisters in Christ who see these verses as making it impossible to think, as I do, that salvation is a valid offer to every person who has ever drawn breath. There's a group, large group, who think this passage says, no, Don, that's not possible. So while theologians debate them, they are almost never carefully studied in a church setting for that very reason. I mean, the entire march of the history of the church has sadly squabbled over the theology of these words of Jesus. Most people who attend CW regularly would know where, where I stand on that. The issue revolves around two statements. One in verse 40, 36, the other in verse 40, 36 and 40. In the first one, 36, Jesus tells his listeners that even though they have seen him, they haven't believed in him. The second, in verse 40, says, it's the Father's will that the one who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and be raised up on the last day when Jesus comes again. And I want to talk more about that because while frequently overlooked, it's Jesus' reference to the resurrection, raise him up on the last day. He says it three times that I think defines what not losing any that the Father has given him means. So there are people who look at the Son and don't believe. Okay, Jesus says so. There are people who look at the Son and do believe. Jesus says so. And the question we need to look at is, how do we account for the difference? And for virtually everyone, the answer is found in verses 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me, can you see this? That's up there? Okay, good. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then again, I will raise him up on the last day. I, I agree with the teaching of those verses. I embrace them as God's final revelation, to my mind, there's absolutely no question but that the Father is the one who initiates anyone coming to the Son. I believe that. By that I mean no one would come and no one could come to the Son on his or her own initiative. To me, that's a non-negotiable starting point because Jesus makes it so clear. But more still needs to be said. 
The questions we need to look into this morning are, who are these people the Father gives? Are they just a randomly selected group? An unconditionally elected group? A selected group? And how does the Father give this group of people to the Son? How does that happen? When does he give them? What is involved in this process of giving them to the Son? And what does Jesus mean about not losing any of them? Those are really big questions. Are we, are we left just to kind of guess at the answer? Are there clues in this text? That's the object of this important teaching, and it does take a bit of effort, so point number one. We know from our text that it's possible to know about Jesus without believing in him. That much we know. 35 and 36, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that to you that you have seen me, but do not believe. Seen, but do not believe. So we know from verse 35, it's right there on the screen, that coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus are the same thing. We know that. Both terms are used to describe this thirst-quenching, feeding, relationship with Jesus that brings redemption and eternal life. We know that. Coming, believing, that's the same thing. And we know from verse 36, it's right there, that some people see or hear or read or know about Jesus who don't receive Jesus in a saving sense. We know that because Jesus said so. I said that to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. Okay, so we know that's the case. They have a knowledge of Jesus, it's, but it's too superficial. Their commitment to Jesus isn't adequate or accepted by Jesus. He says so. This first point should receive a lot of attention from everyone in this room. That, that our Lord himself makes the distinction between those who know about him and those who put trust in him that should call us to a deep, honest self-examination. We sense immediately our accountability for the devotion we give to Jesus. While we don't initiate saving faith, our denial of Christ is treated, it's treated as our responsibility. And I want to talk about that. Okay, point number two. We need to fit the doctrines that we form from John's individual verses into the teaching of the rest of John's gospel. You have to put it all together. That's important because when John writes of this deficient kind of knowledge of Jesus that isn't saving... When John writes about this deficient kind of knowledge of Jesus in other chapters, he gives us additional information that we don't get just in John 6 by itself. So in other words, not all texts 
treat all subjects with the same amount of detail. I want you to look at John chapter 5, 37 to 47. John 5, 37 to 47, because Jesus is going to talk about the same subject as he's talking about in John 6, but more detail filled in. There you go. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. Look at. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now look, they do have a knowledge. This is exactly like John 6. You search the scriptures, right? They're not ignorant of Jesus. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet, you're searching the scriptures, you have some knowledge of Jesus, yet you refuse to come. Come, we said, is the same as belief. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is now a something that you see in five that isn't dealt with in six. You get some details. I do not receive glory that comes from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. That seems like really judging. Eh? Who are you to judge? That's what you hear today. Who are you to judge me? Except this is Jesus. You do not have the love of God within you, I have come in my Father's name, and here it is. You do not receive. Receive means believe. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How how can you believe when you're not one of the elect? Only know it's not where Jesus goes. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Now, this is important. There is one who accuses you, Moses. doesn't look like that matters, but it matters a lot. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. They're devout Jews. But then Jesus surprises them. If you you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? Well, he wrote of me. But, But if, it's conditional, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So quickly, I can't analyze that whole thing, but... Here we have the same situation as our John 6 text. Here are people, here's how it's the same. Here are people who know about Jesus, right? You search the scriptures, but they don't believe in any saving way. So that much, at least, is exactly the same as our John 6 text. Are you still with me? Okay. But in this account, John 5, Jesus expands more on the reason these people can't believe. That's the big addition. That's the important addition. Jesus is going to say, 
here's why you people can't come. Here's why you people can't believe. And it has nothing to do with you not being elect. How can you believe? 544. And the reason they can't, so says Jesus, is they choose to set their hope somewhere else. I'll tell you where they're setting it. They're setting it. Um, let me just fix this. They're setting their hope somewhere else. Here's where they're setting it. Right there. They do that. They're believing Moses. So they've set their hope on Moses rather than Christ the Messiah. Jesus says that in verse 45. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. And then, and then, stay with me, then comes the most important point of all for our present discussion. This is where it hits the road. Jesus immediately goes on to tell these unbelievers that they had another option. Jesus says so. It's right there in the text. They could have known truly and deeply who Jesus was. They could have come to Jesus. They could have believed in Jesus. Please notice carefully what Jesus says in the very next verse. It's in verse 46. Oops, oops, oops. Just a minute, sorry. Now I lost it. You think? There. Okay, thank you. Someone said, another slide, another slide. Look what Jesus, this is Jesus now. Jesus says, if, so there's an option, right? That's what if means. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. There's, there's no escaping the logic of Jesus here. You did this, trusted in Moses. But if you had done this, you could have come to me, right? That's what Jesus is saying. If you who presently put your trust in Moses would listen to what he says, you'd put your trust in me. And Jesus says, you would Right there, would, making it as big as I can. You would believe in me. That option was available. You didn't take it. Now we have to think. Time to put some things together. Because clearly in the terminology of our John 6 text, these unbelievers hadn't been given to the Son by the Father. We know that because of John 6, 37, is so clear in stating that if they had been given to the Son by the Father, they wouldn't be unbelievers, they'd be believers. But you have to go a little bit deeper. What if these people in John 5, what if they had truly listened to and believed Moses? What if they had? Well, fortunately, we don't have to guess about the answer to that question because Jesus answers it for us. Jesus tells us that if these unbelievers had chosen to really seriously believe Moses, if they had responded to the lesser revelation in Moses properly, 
then they would have been drawn into the deeper truth of Jesus Christ. If they had responded to the lesser revelation God had given in Moses, then they would have placed their trust in Jesus too. It's right there. If you believed Moses, if you did, you would believe me. So remember, Jesus holds this out as a genuine possibility. He's not playing games here. They could have received Moses in the correct way and been drawn into belief in Jesus Christ. God would have sovereignly worked that miracle in their heart. If that's not true, if, they wouldn't, if, if that option wasn't there, then John 5, 46, what Jesus says makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all. But take it a step further. If they had listened to Moses and then believed in Jesus, the Messiah, would they or would they not be a part of the group that the Father has given to the Son? And I'm saying they would be a part. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And if we all say yes, they would have been given by the Father to the Son, then we're moving closer to answering our opening question. Who are these given by the Father to the Son, and how are they given? Well, those given to the Son are the ones who open up to the gracious drawing from the Father in previous revelations of truth. In John 5, Moses. In John 6, the prophets. If they, if they had believed and trusted, so they're led to the fullness of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. or in the teaching of John 5, those given by the Father are those who receive rather than twist God's revelation in his word through prophets like Moses, whom Jesus specifically mentions. And when they yield to God's first approaches of grace, through the truth of the scriptures, the prophets, Moses, and others, he gives them more truth regarding his son. So in other words, it is God's initiative. It's God's revelation. But they don't, they don't listen. They don't respond. And God, while sovereignly enabling, won't listen to Moses or the prophets for them. Receiving divine light brings more light. The reason this mental work matters on a Sunday morning is our text teaches that's how the Father gives these people to the Son. Three. You still okay? There's got to be people here thinking, what, what in the world are you doing to us, Pastor John? Point number three. In much less detail, our text in John chapter 6, it leads in the very same direction regarding how the Father gives believers to the Son. Five, in John chapter 6, 40 to 45. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. The Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't like that. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. Okay, in John 5, it wasn't the prophets, it was Moses. And here, it's the prophets. This is how the drawing takes place. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is as it is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. There are just so many insights there. We've got to go fast. A, we learn people minimize the supernatural saving work of Jesus by seeing him as only earthly in nature and ministry. Think about this. These people rejected Jesus' claim as Messiah even after seeing him multiply the loaves and heal the dying. And the reason they rejected him is, well, we know his parents. We know his parents. He didn't come down from heaven. So that meant, in their eyes, Jesus was a good man and a Jewish rabbi, but nothing more. And that's, that's still the root to choosing blindness regarding Jesus, God the Son. B, we learn God uses unfolding layers of revealed truth to draw people to embrace the Son in belief. That's the most important point, I think. I'm laboring to show that if the whole text of John 6 is taken together, it yields the very same message as John 5. In John 5, Jesus clearly states the people rejected him because they hadn't welcomed Moses, who was God's prophet pointing to Christ. Jesus says, if you had believed in Moses, you believe in me. You haven't been ruled out. You just didn't believe. Now in chapter 6, he points to the same reason. He says, you had the prophets. (laughs) You wouldn't listen to the prophets. That's why you're not coming to me. See it right there? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. How does that happen? And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they should be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father through the prophets comes to me. So take careful note. We're closing on the end now. In chapter 5, the people didn't believe because they wouldn't listen to Moses. Not really. That's in 546. In chapter 6, they refused to come because they wouldn't listen to the prophets. That's in 645. Yes, God initiates. God draws. And yes, those whom he draws come to the Son. All that is true. But the details matter. The way the Father draws, at least according to Jesus 
is by revealing truth in unfolding progressive ways. So, so just like those John 5 people needed to hear Moses and these John 6 people needed to hear the prophets and you and I need to hear the word and pay attention to a lesson or a sermon or a witnessing friend, Jesus pleads for people to respond to the Father's drawing. The Father initiates. The Father draws. And there's the response. Oh, but Pastor John, people can't respond to revealed truth. You've heard it. People can't respond. They're dead in trespasses and sin. You ever try getting a dead person to do something? They can't respond, Pastor John. Listen, this may surprise you. I believe that. I believe that. I know people can't on their own even respond to divine truth. The point is God hasn't left us on our own to respond to him. Remember that even when we're coming to the Lord's table, everything is different since Jesus came and died and rose from the grave. My conviction is his redemptive work is a game changer. And I want to show you why. He, that's John the Baptist, was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. Now look at this. The true light, which gives light to, to who? How many people is everyone? Is that everyone? The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. It doesn't mean everyone is saved. What it means is since Jesus has come, something has happened in the human heart that there's the possibility of response, and it was all God's initiative in sending the Son. It's God's initiative. Only God initiates salvation. I keep repeating it because out there, the belief is that people of a Wesleyan tradition think they can earn their own way, and we don't. C. None who have placed faith in Christ Jesus in this life will ever be lost to the power of death. This is a great truth to take home from church. Can you see it up there? Read it out loud with me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. When Jesus talks about not losing anybody, he's not just talking randomly about people drifting away. He's talking about people being lost to the power of death. He says it three times in our text. You never have to worry. He mentions his power to raise those who trust him. He mentions it three times in our text, and he does so for a reason. Jesus doesn't just say for this earthly life. Hey, now you got something you can relax and rejoice in. Jesus doesn't just save for this earthly life. Jesus doesn't lose anyone to the forces of death and decay. 
Not anyone. I like that. We only see people making commitments to Christ on this side of the grave, right? It's all we see. And then everything slips out of our sight. My mother's and father's decaying bodies are not lost to the risen Christ. My parents' decaying bodies are going to obey the last command of Jesus and come out of the grave. Your departed, decaying loved ones who died in spite of all their faith in Christ will obey the command of Jesus and come out of the grave. Jesus doesn't lose anyone to death. Jesus doesn't lose them just because we can't see them. It's going to be a great day when Jesus comes again. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. 